Amen. Praise the Lord. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 6 this evening. Luke chapter 6. I want to start um, the, the whole 6th chapter is Jesus uh, um, talking, or most of the 6th chapter anyway, is Jesus talking to his disciples. And, and he says a lot of things about a, uh, a lot of different subjects. But I want to just start in the middle of uh, a topic that he's uh, speaking on and pull out verse 43 and read down through the end of the chapter. Jesus said, for a good tree brings forth not corrupt fruit. Neither does a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. Now, you know as well as I do that he's not talking about trees of the field. He's talking about people. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart. So he's talking about people. He's talking about a good man being a tree. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He's like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man without a foundation, built a house upon the earth, against which the stream did it beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Now, usually we go for, uh, for this story about the man that builds his house on the rock from uh, Matthew chapter 6, I believe it is. But tonight I wanted to look at uh, Luke's account of this because I want you to notice he didn't say that the difference between the man that builds his house on the rock and the man that builds his house on the sand... Luke says the earth, but he's talking about the same thing. He doesn't say the difference is one falls and one stands. He says of the man that builds upon his, his house upon the rock that the storms could not shake it. It doesn't say that it didn't shake it. It says that it can't shake it. I want to talk to you tonight about unshakable faith. Unshakable faith, faith that cannot be shaken. Now, folks, I want to. We could talk forever about this, and I could come at it from any and every different angle that you can imagine, and and still, no matter how much time we gave to it, not do it justice. But I want to make it as simple as I can tonight. I want to give you three points of unshakable faith. The first point is to recognize the power of the word. To recognize the power of the word. Now, the 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 subtitle under this is to recognize that the word of God is a seed. You remember, Paul said. That I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. We've talked a lot about that word salvation. It means, it's the word sozo, and it means more than just forgiveness of sins. Even, um, uh, oh, I'm losing the name, but the, the great Baptist scholar, um, Schofield, there he goes, thank you. Schofield, in his Bible, in the notes on Romans 1.16, he says that this word encompasses a fivefold meaning to rescue, to deliver, to make safe, to make sound, and, make, and to heal or to make whole. That's pretty good for a Baptist preacher. Now, he didn't preach that, but he knew that that was true about the word. He knew that when Paul was saying the, the gospel, the word of God, literally, good news of Jesus, the finished work of Jesus, is the power of God to affect all of those things, rescue, save, uh, rescue, deliver, make safe, make sound, and, and to heal. He knew that he used, Paul chose to use a word by the Holy Ghost that would encompass any and every one of those Meaning that the word of God is the power to affect any and every one of those things. Now, we know also in Mark chapter 4 where Jesus is talking about the parable 
tells us the parable of the sower sowing the word uh, or sower sowing the, the seed. He tells us that the word of God is that seed. And the difference in, in the, the fruit that it produces, some fell by the wayside, some fell upon thorns, some fell among stony ground, and some fell upon good ground and produced fruit. The, the only difference between the, the, uh, the fruit that was produced and, and the seed that didn't produce the fruit, the difference wasn't the seed. It's the seed in every case, same seed, same power, same potential in every case. The only difference is the ground. Well, the Bible says, Paul talked about that I planted and Apollos watered when he's writing to the Corinthians, chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he said, I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. He went on to say, you are God's garden. In other words, you were made when you became a new creature in Christ Jesus. The purpose for your being made a new creature is that you were made to be good ground. Now, you don't have to be. But God created you to be good ground. God created you to produce with the seed of the word of God. Any of you know what Isaiah 55, 11 says? God's talking about my thoughts are not your thoughts. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And my ways are higher than your ways. Verse 11 says, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall accomplish that which I please and prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. It shall not return unto me void of power. But it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. Do you know the only reason God gave us his word? There's only one reason he gave us his word. There's only one reason that you have promises uh, identified in the word of God. There's only one reason the Holy Ghost inspired writers in the New Testament and in the Old to give us an account of what God said. That one purpose is to fulfill what he said. That's the only reason you've got the word of God. That's the only reason the Bible tells us what it tells us about what Jesus did for us and what belongs to us is so that the word of God can be fulfilled in you. Now, the thing about the word of God being a seed, Paul, uh, uh, Peter, writing to the church, he said, we're born again by the incorruptible seed of God's word. Now, what does that mean? Incorruptible is kind of a, uh, an interesting word because it means it can't perish. It means it can't lose power. It means there's nothing in the world, nothing in the universe that can change, alter, diminish, decrease anything. Any other words you can come up with affect the power that's in that seed in any way whatsoever. Because God spoke the word and it's unchangeable. You're born again by the incorruptible seed. That means, since God said, my word is not void of power, never void of power. Paul wrote in uh, Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is full of life and power. Uh, Weymouth's translation says, quick and powerful, King James says, full of life and power. Well, if something is full of, if the word is full of something, then that means there's no room for anything else. Well, what's the word full of? It's full of life and power. That means there is never a question about the seed. That means there's never can be any question about the seed of God, the seed of God's word. The problem is never going to be the seed. The problem is never going to be the word. And remember in, in uh, what is it, Psalm 107 verse 20, where the psalmist writes, he sent his word and healed them. Why? Because there's power in the word for healing. I'm, uh, uh, I like to think of it this way. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 17, it says this, it says, for if by one man, since one by his offense, Adam's, caused the whole earth to be uh, transformed into the law of sin and death, it said, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life by one Jesus Christ. 
What that means is very simply this. The, 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 the word much more, the phrase much more, it's used several times. Paul's the only one that uses it in the scripture. It's used several times in his letters. It literally means this. Something is so far beyond something else that they really shouldn't be compared. And every time Paul talks about much more, he says, where sin abound, grace did much more abound. Every time he talks about the power of salvation as being much more than the law of sin and death, much more than that which caused sin to reign over mankind through Adam's failure, much more, all the, all the time, every time he uses that phrase much more, he's always talking about how the things of God are so far beyond the, the, the effects of sin, the effects of sickness, the effects of the, of the law of sin and death here on the earth, that they really shouldn't even be compared together. What that means for us is this. The power in one scripture is so much more able to heal you of whatever your situation is. It's so much greater than the power of sickness and disease. Whatever it is that's holding you. Whatever it is that attacks you. It's so much greater. It shouldn't even be compared together. I don't care if you're believing to walk again. I don't care if you're believing for blind eyes to be opened. I don't care if you're believing for a healing from a headache. The power of God, the seed of God's word has so much more power than any power that sickness will ever hold. They shouldn't even be compared. There's mighty few of us that think of the word of God like that when we start trying to apply it. Which is why very few people, um, statistically anyway, very few people really receive their healing. Because they're praying, they're trying to grab hold of some ritual, some exercise, some uh, set of rules and trying to work it just right and hope they hit God on a good day. And folks, that has nothing to do with anything. The power of healing is in God's word. If you want to have unshakable faith, faith that cannot be shaken, step number one is you've got to realize that the power is in the seed of God's word. Second thing you're going to have to know is that seed has to be planted. Mark chapter 4, about verse 25, Jesus explaining the parable of the sower sowing the word. He said this. He said, so is the kingdom of God as if a man should plant seed into his heart or into the ground. The ground he's talking about is into his heart. So is the whole kingdom of God. Here's what everything about the kingdom of God is about. Now, Jesus, when he sent the disciples out, he told them to go two and two, two by two in all the cities before that he would get there. And he said to them, heal the sick. If they'll receive you, heal the sick and say unto them, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. So healing has to have something to do with the kingdom of God. He went on to say, if they won't receive you, then shake the dust of your feet off against them, but say to them, the kingdom of God was available to you. In other words, whether they receive healing or not, whether they receive deliverance or whatever they needed from God or not was up to them. But the kingdom of God, meaning the availability the potential to be healed, the potential to be set free was available to them because Jesus had sent the disciples there before. So healing has to be part of the kingdom of God. You remember Jesus told the disciples to pray. When they asked him how to pray, he came up with what the church world calls the Lord's Prayer. It's really not the Lord's Prayer. It's not a, prayer for a, it's not a New Testament prayer because it doesn't contain the name of Jesus. But Jesus said in what's known commonly as the Lord's Prayer, he said to pray, thy will be done, thy kingdom come, on earth as it is in heaven. Well, concerning sickness, what is the kingdom of God like in heaven? Any sickness there? So it must not be God's will for there to be any sickness in heaven. If there was God's will for there to be any sickness in heaven, don't you know there would be? 
Why? Because he rules in the kingdom of God. Well, then why did Jesus say to the disciples to pray, thy will be done, thy kingdom come on earth, the kingdom of God on earth, just like it is in heaven? What is that telling us? It's telling us that Jesus understood that the will of God was there was for there to be no sickness on the earth, just like there's no sickness in heaven. So when Jesus said the whole kingdom of God is like this, here's what the whole kingdom of God is like. In other words, any aspect of the kingdom of God, any aspect of the power of God that you want the word of God to produce in your life, any aspect of healing, any aspect of provision, material provision, any aspect of God's blessings in any and every way works like this. As if a man should speak the word of God into his own heart. That's how you plant the seed. Do you realize, folks, if the word of God is the seed of God's power, and it is, There is only one thing that can keep that seed from producing. And that is for it not to be planted in ground. That's the only thing. That's the only thing there is. Because once that seed is planted in good ground. Once that seed takes its place. And that's what the seed's for. The seed is not made to sit on the shelf and look at and say, oh, isn't that beautiful seed. That seed is not to be set up on high and worshipped and say, oh, we just thank God for the seed. No, the seed is meant to do a job. That's what Isaiah 55, 11 is about. It's not void of power. It will accomplish what God sent it to do when it's planted. The only thing that will keep it from, from producing is if it's not planted in good ground. So the second part of having unshakable faith, faith that cannot be shaken, is you've got to plant the seed. You plant it by speaking it. You know, if we were farmers living out in the Midwest somewhere, if we were going to plant a crop, we would have information about how that crop grows, wouldn't we? We'd know if we were going to plant a corn crop, for example, we'd know what time of year we needed to plant the, the, the corn kernels, the seed. We'd know uh, based on what the re- weather reports were, we may get out the farmer's almanac and see what the moon's doing or whatever else. There's all kinds of things that are about farming that I don't know anything about. But you've heard the stories just like I have. Maybe you've got some family that, uh, that gives you some experience with it or something uh, like that. But anyway, they go through a lot of, lot of uh, information gathering. They want to make sure that they plant that seed in just the right uh, way at just the right time. They'll prepare the ground long before it's time to plant. They don't come up and say, well, I've got to plant tomorrow, so I've got to plow today. They plow ahead of time. They get it ready. They prepare the ground because they have a purpose in mind. They know that planting is a very, very serious part of their future prosperity. And so what do they do? Time comes to plant. They go all out. They take whatever time it takes based on the size of their field or garden or whatever it is they're planting. They take whatever time is necessary. They'll do it morning, noon, and night until they get the job done so they get it in just the right way at just the right time. And when it's planted, they say, that's done. Now it's settled. They understand how it works. Their job as farmers, good farmers, their job is to get the seed into the ground. And once it's in the ground, they don't go back over looking and say, now how good a job did I do? Because they take care to do it right when they're doing it the first time. They don't start digging up on edge and say, well, does this look like it's all right now? No, they take special care. They understand how it's supposed to be done. They understand when it's supposed to be done. They do it right. And then they say, that part of the job is finished. 
they wouldn't consider going out and digging up any seed to take a look at it for anything in the world. Yet that's exactly what most people do when they think they're operating in faith. Folks, the planting of the seed is a very, very important part of the process. And good farmers understand, here's how you plant, here's when you plant, here's what you plant, and now that's done. That sounds a lot like Mark eleven twenty four. Jesus said, therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. In other words, believe that it's done and you'll have what you ask for. Believe that it's done. How many times are, are we tempted by the devil to question, well, did we really plant a seed in our heart? That's one of the biggest questions that's asked me. When people want to know about their healing, how do I stand for my healing? Or how do I know? How, do I, how can I be sure? And, and so forth. How can I know that the word is really planted in my heart? And what people don't realize is by their very words, they're digging up their own seed. Now that brings us to step three. The third step, the third part of the process that we're calling faith that cannot be shaken is that once you've recognized the power in the seed, wouldn't do you any good to plant bad seed. Because then you would have something to worry or wonder about. Wouldn't do any good not to plant it. You'd have the best seed in the world and not plant it. And it's not going to do you any good. But if you've got good seed. And you plant it in good ground. In the right way. Then that leaves only one thing. And that is looking for the harvest. Once the, the farmer gets his seed planted. And says that's settled. That part is done. He's dependent on a lot of other things. He's dependent on sunshine, which is outside of his control. He's dependent on rain, which is outside of his control. He's dependent on weather conditions. And that probably has a lot to do with when he plants, when he chooses to plant. He's looking at the forecast. He's looking at what's going to happen. If he sees a rain coming, he wants to get that seed in the ground so it can take advantage of that first rain. He doesn't want to wait till after the rain. He wants to make sure that the rain can benefit the seed instead of just falling on empty ground. But there are things outside of his control. But what do farmers always talk about? Farmers always talk about the crops. Farmers always talk about the crop that they're going to have. That farmer is going to go to town and sit around on the general store bench with the other farmers in town. And he's going to say, I've got the best crop coming that I've ever had in my life. You ought to see the seed I planted. Now, what does he have so far? Nothing. He's got seed in the ground. Hadn't even started to sprout yet. He can't see one thing except from the inside. Now, how does that farmer see his crop? He imagines it. He sees it in his mind's eye. He imagines the the corn growing tall. He imagines it's growing healthy. He sees the sun beating down on it. He sees the rain coming every now and then. He sees it causing causing the weather, causing it to grow strong and healthy. He doesn't look for boll weevils. He doesn't look for locusts. He looks at what he imagines that crop to be based on the value of the seed. Based on the value of the seed and his understanding on how to plant it. That's when he starts talking about the crop. Man, I'm going to have the best crop of corn I've ever had in my life. Well, what makes you think, Fred, what makes you think it's going to be better than anything you've had before? Man, you ought to see the seed I used this time. And I'm, it was such good seed that I made sure the ground was in good shape before I ever put the seed in it. You just wait. I'm going to have corn that's going to make your corn look like nothing. It's going to be the best corn you can imagine. Now, there are a lot of things that can happen from the time that he plants to when he harvests. 
For example, if there's not enough water, what's he going to do? He's going to find some way to divert water to where his crops are. What if there's too much water? He'll create some kind of dam around his fields to keep the water from flooding the seed. He's got to take care of it. He's got to give attention to it. But that's part of looking for the harvest. Because if he doesn't care about the harvest, if he doesn't expect a harvest, he's not going to take care of the field. Isn't that true? This is the kind of harvest that the Bible talks about Abraham looking for. Romans chapter 4 says that Abraham was strong in faith. And it says how he was able to maintain that strength of faith. One translation says it this way. It says, but looking under the promise of God, Abraham waxed strong in faith. Looking under the promise of God. What does that mean? That means he looked away from his symptoms. That means he looked away from his symptoms. I think some people do this in reverse. Looking under their symptoms, they wax weak in faith. And forget about the promise. But folks, you need to understand something. The symptoms, the pain in your body, the circumstances of your flesh have nothing to do with the power of the seed. It has nothing to do with the fact that you planted the seed and you planted it well. It has nothing to do with that. There is no reason to doubt the value or the power of the seed. There's no reason to doubt the fact that you planted it and settled it and now it's done. Just because you've got a pain in your body. But that's what the devil does. What's his purpose? The devil's trying to get you to look away from your harvest to look to your pains and to your symptoms. Don't let him do it. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. I want to start in verse 22. Here's a story that we're all familiar with. It's not about healing, but it is about faith. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, that's early morning, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. You ever notice Jesus never shows up and says, now's the time to be afraid? Never shows up and says, boo. Everything about the things of God are, don't be afraid. It's me. Don't be afraid. Why? Because Jesus knows that he is associated with only good things and blessings and deliverance and so forth, healing and such. It's me, don't be afraid. Every time you read the word of God, you should realize that's Jesus saying, it's me, don't be afraid. So Jesus appeared and said to them, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be you, bid me come unto you on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was gone down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Verse 30, but when he saw the wind boisterous, Now, did the wind just start blowing? Well, my Bible says in verse 24 that the wind was contrary. So the wind's been blowing all the time, right? But notice what it says in verse 30. But when he saw the wind boisterous, when he saw the wind boisterous, what does that mean? It doesn't mean the wind just started blowing. 
When he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. In other words, the waves didn't change. The wind didn't change. It's just when Peter looked at it that he began to sink. Notice, first of all, Peter walks out, steps out of the boat, and he walks on the water to go to Jesus. In other words, while the wind was blowing hard, while the waves were high, one of the other gospel accounts of this story says the wind was, uh, says they were toiling and rowing because the wind was contrary. In other words, they couldn't make much progress. That's why they're still in the middle of the sea. Jesus is making better time walking than they're making rowing because the wind and the waves are, are contrary. The waves are high and the wind's blowing hard. Jesus catches up to him. Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come to you and let me walk on the water too. Jesus doesn't say, oh, don't you know I'm the son of God? Nobody can do this but me. Jesus says, come. You can't ever find anything that Jesus said he wouldn't share with you or me or his disciples except the cross. That's the only thing he told his disciples. He said, you're not able to drink the cup that I drink. Everything else is fair game. So Peter wants to come. Jesus said, come. One word, come. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Jesus said the word come and that gave Peter the power to walk on the water. As long as he's looking at the right thing. What do you think he's looking at when he walks on the water to go to Jesus? He's got Jesus in his sights. But he gets out there and all of a sudden he starts thinking, wow, I'm away from the boat now. This wind is really blowing hard. But it didn't just start, Peter. Maybe a wave slapped him in the shoulder. Oh, that was cold. Well, the waves didn't just start to roll. The waves were high and the wind was blowing hard before you ever got out of the ship. And the wind and the waves didn't stop Peter from walking on the water. That's the point I want you to see. Your pains, your circumstances, your, your symptoms in your body, symptoms of sickness, don't stop the seed from working. Don't stop the power of God from affecting what you need it to affect. The devil wants to get your attention diverted to something else. It has nothing to do about, uh, with the pain. Jonah called the circumstances that were surrounding him when he was in the belly of the fish, he called them lying vanities. Your pains are lying vanities. Yeah, but they hurt. But Yeah, but they're lying vanities. They're designed for one thing, and that is to get your attention on them and off of Jesus, off of his word. When he saw the wind, boisterous. When he saw the wind, once he took his attention off of Jesus and what Jesus said to do, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Where did Peter doubt when he looked away to the circumstances? As I said before, Romans chapter 4 talking about Abraham the father of faith, the one that we're supposed to follow his example, it said Abraham, looking under the promise of God, Abraham waxed strong in faith. Looking under the promise of God, he, he gained strength in faith. What does that mean? That means he looked away from the circumstances of his body. He didn't waver because he kept his attention on the word. In other words, he looked to his harvest. He looked unto his harvest. What's Peter doing? He's walking on the water. 
He's experiencing one of the greatest miracles recorded in the four Gospels. He's walking on the water to go to Jesus. Why? Because there was enough power in the one word come to make the water support Peter's weight. And we're worried about God healing our bodies. Well, do you think the the word of God will really heal me, Pastor Mike? Are you kidding? The devil wants to make you think the sickness and the power of God are on equal terms. Not even close. Not even close. There's so much more power in one scripture than you'll ever need to heal your body. Well, what should we do, though, Pastor Mike, if the symptoms persist? If the, if the pain comes back, what should we do? Rebuke it. Call it a lying vanity. Because the Bible says that you were healed by the stripes of Jesus. And the word of God is truth. Not the word of God is true. That would mean it contains truth. No, the word of God is truth and truth never changes. So if the truth is you are healed by the stripes of Jesus, then the pains and the symptoms and the circumstances that are affecting you are lying vanities. They're temporary obstructions. So rebuke them. Pain I rebuke you in the name of Jesus as a lying vanity. Because Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses and that's the truth. You can't stay in my body because the truth is I was healed by the stripes of Jesus. Not going to be, was. That's done. So what are we to do? Look to our harvest. Just like Peter had the opportunity to look at the goal ahead of him. Look at the goal, the thing he had his his sight set on first. Walking to Jesus. He could have walked to Jesus and walked all the way back. They could have walked backwards all the way back to the ship if they wanted to. As long as he's looking at the right things and keeping his eyes off the wrong things. Folks, you need to understand something. Thinking faith, speaking faith, and acting faith will always manifest what you need. Always. There's not enough power in the the devil's arsenal to keep it from happening. This is not a struggle between God and the devil to see you get your promise or see you get your healing. That has nothing to do with it. The work is already done. It's simply a matter of transfer. And you're responsible for the transfer, not God. God says, here's what's yours and here's how to get it. How do you get it? You recognize that the seed is the power of God. You plant the seed once and for all. And then you look for the harvest and keep your eyes on that. See, folks, the way to keep the seed planted is to speak what God's word says. Sooner or later... It'll become real to you and you'll start thanking God for the answer before you ever see the answer. That's faith in its highest form. That's what Abraham did. Abraham was strong in faith, giving glory to God. What caused him to be strong in faith? What caused him to be strong in faith was he kept his eyes on the promise, looking under the promise of God. He staggered not through unbelief. Looking at the promise of God caused him to be strong in faith. And because he was strong in faith, that's when he glorified God for the answer. Folks, the answer always materializes, always materializes when you keep the seed planted, the seed of God's word planted in good ground. The devil can't stop it. That's faith that cannot be shaken. Let me close where we started in Luke chapter 6. Jesus said, Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I'll show you to whom he's like. What does he mean by doing his sayings? Taking the seed of God's word and planting it in your heart. 
That's what he means by doing the word. It's not enough just to know that Jesus said that you were healed. It's not enough to know that the Bible says that healing is yours. You've got to take it, plant it into your own heart, and take possession of it by keeping it in the ground. That's what makes the transfer. Jesus said, I'll show you who he is like, the man that does does my sayings. He's like a man which built a house and dig deep. Dig deep. See, that's the good ground. Prepares the soil, prepares his heart to receive the word. He digs deep and he lays the foundation on a rock, the power of God's word. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it. For it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not, he that just knows that there's scriptures in the Bible about healing, Knows that God sometimes has brought healing to certain people. But you know you never know how he's going to do it. Or whether he's going to do it for me. That's hearing and not doing. Another thing about that's hearing and not doing. Is saying boy wasn't that a great message. And then doing nothing about it. But he that heareth and doeth not. Is like a man that without a foundation. Built a house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Folks, I'm sorry to say that that describes a lot of Christians' lives. They fall immediately and the ruin of their house is great. Why? Because they didn't recognize the power of God's word as a seed that is intended to be planted. I want to say this again. There is only one reason that healing scriptures are in the Bible and that is to fulfill healing in your body. That's why God spoke what he did about healing. is so that you could have healing fulfilled in your flesh. Whether it's blind eyes, crippled legs, cancerous tumors disappearing, whatever the case. The power of God's word is more than enough to take care of whatever you need. It'll show up every time. Every time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you that your word is full of life and power. Healing power, delivering power, power to make us free in every respect. Oh, Father, what a privilege it is to plant the seed of God's word into our hearts and hold fast to it, knowing that it, regardless of the time involved, regardless of the pain in our flesh, regardless of the circumstances of the symptoms, regardless of anything and everything that comes, your word always produces what it was sent to accomplish. Your word produces the healing that it was spoken to accomplish. Thank you, Father, that the word of God is planted in our heart. It's done. And so the symptoms that contradict your word are simply lying vanities. Because the truth is, Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And with his stripes, we were healed. Thank you, Father, that there's nothing the devil can do to keep our healing from materializing, becoming visible. Because your word is truth. Thank you, Father. We'll not be shaken. We cannot be shaken no matter what happens because the truth of God's word is planted deep in our hearts. In Jesus' name. If you can agree with that, say amen. 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 Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us.